0: This is Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio, as always presented by Progressive Insurance, alongside Matt Schick. I am Michael Rothstein filling in tonight for Spain and Fits on this day after Thanksgiving. We're talking pretty much all night about is this the best week in sports? We want to hear from you. You can join us on the Dr. Pepper call line. It's 188-729-3776. That's 188 say ESPN. And Matt, when we look at this week, of course, a large port of that is the NFL. And the night game last night followed the forty-two million who watched the Cowboys and the Giants, which is just an number. astronomical mm. like that's like MASH finale level numbers, right? Like that's that's huge numbers for today's world. But the nightcap, I think, was the most interesting game of the three. Vikings beat the Pats 33-26, and in large part because there was an overturned touchdown from Hunter Henry. Bill Belichick was asked after whether or not he get an explanation of why the Hunter Henry touchdown was overturned.
1: Why don't you guys go to the officials with your pool reporter and ask them about the play and let them explain it to you. Right? Like, Isn't that what you do? Thank you.
0: So, Bill Belichick, <laughs> clearly not interested in answering that question about whether he got an explanation. Probably just means he didn't get a satisfactory one, right? Yeah, that's that's probably
2: it. Um, you know, he's going up and moving on to Cincinnati, I think, is a part of it. Look, Hunter Henry said afterwards he kept his hand under the ball. As I watched it live, I thought, okay, he caught the ball, he crossed the plane, he's going to the ground, Did the ball touch the ground? Yes, it did. 100%. But was his hand under the ball as it touched the ground? Yes. So as I watch it back, and I watch it back two or three or four times, I just don't know how there is enough evidence to overturn the ruling on the field. Where, yes, does it hit the ground? Yes, yes but his hand is under the ball the whole time. Does the ball come loose after it hits the ground? Yes, but his hand was under the ball. So I can see both sides of this, which is terrible radio. I just thought that given the call on the field, once you see that ball not be secured, it's like, up, up, up. sorry, sorry, sorry. Not a catch. Not a catch. No, it, it's negated because the ball bobbled after it may have hit the ground. It looked like it did, but I thought his hand was under the ball. I, I'm siding with Hunter here. I'm not sure how much of a difference it would have made. They did lose by by seven points, but uh, it was a tough break because that was a big moment of the game.
0: No, without question, and that's the type of play that you would figure the ruling on the field would stand. Now, the Patriots beat reporters did end up asking for a pool report. That was Mike Reese, our ESPN Patriots reporter, who is the pool reporter there. And to your point, he did ask Walt Anderson Anderson, that he did have two hands on it and how much that factored into the decision. And this is what Walt Anderson had to say, quote, Well, if you had maintained control of the ball with two hands, even if the ball were to touch the ground, if you don't lose control of the ball after it touches the ground, that would still be a catch. And, I mean, that just kind of – I don't even understand what he said there. Like, I still can't believe that we're talking 12 years after the Calvin Johnson play about what is a catch. Like, this is going to be, I think, time immemorial, Matt, a conversation of what's a catch or not. It should not be this hard.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the rule change. So Terry McCauley, NFL, former NFL referee, you know, we, we need to be clear that surviving the ground hasn't been part of the nomenclature for a few years now. But he did say in this story on USA Today, he said the rule change allowed for a player who controls and gets two feet or another body part down to then complete the catch by performing an act common to the game. That didn't happen with Hunter Henry. So when the ball hit the ground, he had to maintain control. He did not. That's different from surviving the ground. He had to maintain control through the catch. He didn't. So I get it. Just one of those things that, just as you watch it with the naked eye you're like yep that's a good score and then you watch it back slow mo you're like yeah i guess not sorry uh try and kick the field goal
0: yeah i mean that's and that's what happened now kirk cousins played pretty darn well i think last yeah. night i think he shed some of the primetime kirk cousins can't do anything label that he has been fairly or unfairly saddled with he talked a little bit about moreover this season about being able to win and win close
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to put games away earlier, but uh, this was a good football team we played tonight, and um, you know they made it hard for us. And what I think has been unique about our journey this season has just been the the team factor that we needed. You know, we needed a kickoff return tonight. We've needed you know interceptions or you know fumble recoveries, pass rush, you know run game, pass game. There's just been a lot of contributions, and for us to win, it would seem that we really do need the whole team to contribute. And um, and so that's what I think has been a unique theme to this year is, is we win as a team and really lean on all three phases.
0: He can really lean on Justin Jefferson. who had nine catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown last night. Cousins was 30 of 37, 299, three touchdowns, and a pick. Do you think the Vikings are, what, second best team in the NFC right now? I mean, it's obviously slim Pickens, but...
2: I even given their record I would put them behind the Eagles and also behind the Cowboys. You put them behind
0: Dallas. Interesting.
2: I would. I would and because, you know, we're finally seeing Dak get round into form a little bit. We're not seeing him run the football as much. He's not using his legs and perhaps that's by design. But the two-headed monster of, of Pollard and Zeke I think is pretty formidable. Micah Parsons has played in 27 games in his career, and in nine of them he has at least two sacks. That's disgusting. All right? So this defense is really good. The offensive line is holding up. I'm not saying Minnesota's doing it with smoke and mirrors because I don't think that's fair. I think Kirk even alluded to the fact that we need everybody to play well. We need everybody to contribute for these wins. You look at the rest of their schedule. With the Vikings again, this isn't college football. It's like, oh, they're favored by double digits. They're going to win this game. But here's their next, here their next games: home against the Jets, at the Lions, home against the Colts, home against the Giants, at the Packers, at the Bears. It's not out of the realm of possibility that this team wins fifteen games. Yeah, you know they go I mean, five and one down the stretch, maybe four and two down the stretch, and you're thinking about thirteen to fourteen at least wins for this team, um, you're going to be judged on what you do in the postseason. You get that, and Kirk Cousins gets that. But th- th- you would have been hard-pressed to predict anything close to this this year, but they're all playing well, and they have the best receiver in the game, which can cover up a lot of deficiencies. Um, and, and the margin for error is very slim with this team. We've seen that. You go back to the Bills game. Go back to the Commanders game. Go back to the Cardinals game. Go back to last night. So... They're not blowing people away, but just win, baby. That's what they're doing.
0: Uh, well, let's go back a second here. Best receiver in the game? Uh, I'm not buying that, Matt. There is a no, guy no. in Miami who's pretty darn good and might break Calvin Johnson's record named Tyreek Hill. I think he probably will argue with you that he is the best receiver in the game, and I would even say that there's a guy in Cincinnati, Jamar Chase, who's probably a little bit better than Justin Jefferson as well. That's no knock on Justin Jefferson. He's fantastic.
2: He's also not healthy. Like, Jamar Chase is not healthy right He's now. He's supposed as to as play this right week, now. it sounds like. He's on He's on possible. track. Okay, it's questionable. We'll see. Tyreek Hill, I get it, um, but I mean, even Aaron Rodgers called Justin Jefferson the best player in the league. I mean, that that to me lends some credence to that. If you could have one receiver in this league right now, who are you picking? It's Justin Jefferson. I'm, now see, I answered I'm ta- your I'm question for Tyreek you. Hill. I answered your question for you. Yours is Tyreek Hill. Mine's Justin Jefferson. I hesitate for no seconds.
0: Listen, I get it. I'm not saying Justin Jefferson's a bad player. Like, come on. I mean, we're we're arguing about three guys who may end up wearing gold jackets when this is all said and done 15 or so years from now without question. But I'm just saying, Tyreek Hill's on pace to break the NFL receiving record by Calvin Johnson, and he may do it in 16 games, which means that he doesn't have to have that weird little asterisk that doesn't exist but maybe should in that. I'm just saying. Uh, Give me Tyreek Hill because he can separate better than anybody in the NFL and is faster than anybody in the league. Coming up, we're going to flip back to college football. A former Ohio State tight end gets us ready for the game, the battle between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, alongside Matt Chick. I am Michael Rothstein. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We're going to head back out to the phone lines, and we're going to chat with an Ohio native, an Ohio State football player, former Ohio State football player. He played in the league For a while as well. Ben Hartsock, welcome to the show. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time tonight. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Excited. Big game tomorrow. We had our uh,
1: Thanksgiving celebration actually today, so I'm pretty well (laughs) topped off. Had the first meal. We finished with the second meal, watching football, watching Iowa just lay an egg in the West, now trying to figure out who's going to win the Big Ten West.
0: Hopefully, the the trip to Fan doesn't kick in here while you're on with (laughs) us here.
2: Hey, Before we continue here, Ben, uh, I would like, and I'm only asking this because I know the answer, and I want you to tell the story in a concise manner. Uh, How was your Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving?
1: Yeah, so we had an off day on Thanksgiving, so you don't want to ask uh, my wife or my sister or my brother-in-law who actually did the cooking. I did zero cooking on any of the uh, food items, and so it came down to what are we going to do On actual Thanksgiving for dinner, nothing was open. And I mean nothing was open to the point the only place that we could source food for ourselves was the bowling alley. We got bowling alley pizza. Not only did we get bowling alley pizza, we got takeout bowling alley pizza. Wow. And in hindsight, it wasn't too bad. (laughs) Did you
0: bowl, though? That is a question.
1: No, not, no, I didn't want to bowl. No, it's it, no, I didn't bowl at all. I walked in. They looked at me kind of sideways like, you want takeout bowling alley pizza?
2: They had to look for to-go boxes. Great, you're calling <laughs> in a to-go order at bowling alley pizza that's just so good. All right. Oh, You've that's... had your turkey on Black Friday. Uh, now let's talk some Buckeyes and Wolverines here. You think Ohio State, Michigan, what are the first images that come to mind? Oh,
1: it, I, the images that are, are the ones we see on ESPN ev- every year: David Boston and Desmond Howard and J.T. Barrett and the spot and uh, feet, uh, crowds rushing the field and 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 all of those those memories, those iconic chapters in rivalry history, uh, and and you know the fact that there have been I think it's five now times that Ohio State Michigan has met un. Uh, undefeated in this manner, and, ever, and most of them have come down to less than a touchdown, and it looks like it's going to shape up to be one of those again tomorrow.
0: We're talking to Ben Hartsock, ESP, ESPNU and Big Ten radio analyst on XM and the former Ohio State and NFL tight end. And ben, what what's it like to have this game in the shoot? Like, put me there for an Ohio State player walking out for this game at Ohio Stadium.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I grew up in the state of Ohio. My my mom, my dad, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, wife, like they, they all are Ohio State graduates, and so I grew up like part of my primary education was reading, writing, and Woody Hayes uh, is schemes. Like it was it was part of the way we were raised, and so uh, when I got the opportunity to play for that team, it it meant the absolute world to me, and and I took great joy. Uh, I, I got to see some teammates here in town. Craig Krenzel is a guy that was from Michigan. He grew up in Detroit and was part of our Buckeye team. He always jokes about how he learned about what Ohio State meant from a guy like myself. And so Ohio guys get it, and they take pride in teaching it, to the, and especially in today's college football that's so national. you got guys all over the country, so they, they have to learn it. Uh, but it does not take long for you to understand the responsibility placed at the feet of these young men on these football teams. And, and I talk about this rivalry. The word that every time comes for, to mind first is respect. The, the rivalry is dripping with respect. And, and John Jansen is the voice of the Michigan Wolverine radio broadcast. And, and he and I, through radio, have gotten to be good friends. And we love to hate each other about this game, but there is tons of respect because he's a Michigan guy that grew up on that side of the border. I'm an Ohio guy that grew up on this side of the border, and it matters. And so you feel this huge responsibility in a way that I, I played hard in every college game I ever played or every NFL game, but there you find something extra for this rivalry. And then on top of the rivalry, you, it, it could be, both these teams could be winless, and it will be an absolute fistfight. But when you put on top of this 2 versus 3 Big Ten championship burst, college football playoff berth at stake, uh, it adds gasoline to an already raging fire.
2: Michigan has not won back-to-back games in this series since 1999 2000. If they do it again and win in Columbus, what's the significance of that? And what does that mean for Ohio State?
1: Yeah, I, I did a little study on this, and when you talk about the team that has been down, and and Michigan has been down for for 20 years in this rivalry, if you look back through history. Back-to-back wins by the down team changed the trajectory of that record. And and, and my era, the, the, one of the great legacies of the, the era that I played for, we changed the trajectory because Ohio State had been down from the mid-80s until the late-90s under John Cooper. And uh, we t- turned that tide and got back-to-back wins in 2001 and 2002. And, and Ohio State has enjoyed a dominance in that series ever since. And so – while this game singularly is for the 2022 season, with Big Ten title and championship uh, playoff berth on the on the line, bigger picture, the stakes—if if history is the indicator—back-to-back wins are a big turn in the momentum of that rivalry, and I'm certain that Ryan Day and the rest of the coaching staff know that.
0: We're talking to Ben Hartsock, ESPNU and B1G Radio analyst on SiriusXM, and a former Ohio State and NFL tight end. And like you said, focusing on that 2022 game, what do you think is the biggest key for Ohio State so that way they don't lose two in a row to Michigan tomorrow?
1: Well, they've uh, they've got to continue to make Michigan uh, struggle with what it has struggled with. Last week, Michigan in the entire second half of that game versus Illinois, did not reach the end zone. They they settled for four field goals. So if they can force Michigan to – it doesn't matter if they give up 300 yards rushing. If all of the running backs are healthy, Blake Corham and Donovan Edwards, as long as you don't don't let them get into the end zone, it's going to be okay for Ohio State because you know that Ohio State will find a way into that end zone. But the, the concern for Ohio State was they have given up a, a lot of rushing yardage specifically to Nebraska or to Northwestern a couple of weeks ago. So that that uh, example is there on film for Michigan to try to exploit a far more talented team. So that, that's a big key for, for Ohio state defensively and, and offensively uh, it's important for the Ohio state defense to stop J.J. McCarthy, w- regardless of what's going to happen uh, with the running back position for Michigan, the quarterback, J.J. McCarthy is a, uh, extremely gifted athlete. He, he, He has run the ball when needed, but there hasn't been a heavy dose because you didn't need to uh, run the ball with the quarterback. But in this game, with all of these stakes uh, and and everything on the line, Jim Harbaugh needs to be willing to to have some called plays, a full package and complement of quarterback runs where you're going to have a numbers advantage by design uh, but it also helps uh, limp your team that, that could potentially be down a couple of star running backs. Uh, it, it's a way to keep yourself in this game because Michigan, Michigan needs the run more than Ohio State needs the run, and Ohio State's dealing with its own injuries at the running back position, but they've got so many guys on the uh, on the outside.
0: Ben, well, we're going to be watching tomorrow, and that Michigan run game, I agree with you, that might be a key for the Wolverines. Thank you for a couple minutes of your time tonight. Yep, always appreciate it, guys. Thanks. No problem, and that's the thing, Matt. When you look at this game, I think that Michigan running back situation, that is, to me, the biggest key. But coming up, we're going to go back to the NFL, and we're going to give our picks and put some money in your pockets. That's next on Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio. This is Spain and Fits on ESPN Radio and ESPN App, serious XM Channel 80. Alongside Matt Schick, I am Michael Rothstein, Spain and Fitz. And ESPN Radio, as always, presented by Progressive Insurance. And don't forget to tune into a football doubleheader on Sunday as the Browns host the Bucks, followed by the Saints at 49ers. Coverage begins at noon Eastern on select ESPN radio stations. And, Matt, we're going to stick with the NFL because it's time to make some picks because it's Friday and people, you know, they're (laughs) curious about it. And I want to start here. I want to start with the game that I am most intrigued by because I think it is actually the best game of the day on Sunday. The 6-4 and four Bengals are at the 7-3 and three Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans are getting three points, which as we know means Vegas probably thinks the Bengals are going to win potentially by six. Matt, who do you like in this game?
2: I like the Titans a lot in the spot. A little revenge game from last year's playoff game. And how about this? Sometimes trends don't tell you everything, and you can throw them out the window. But I think here with Mike Vrabel, they are very important. Joe Fortenbaugh put this one out here. Since taking over as head coach of the Titans in 2018, Mike Vrabel has had at least 10 days of preparation for eight different regular season games. In those eight games... He's 8-0 and oh, straight up and 8-0 and oh against the number and winning those, beating the closing point spread by an average of 17.5 points per game. That means something. They just played on a Thursday night in the previous week. They got 10 days rest going up against a team that is without Joe Mixon. No disrespect to Samajé P. Ryan, but I think the Titans will be able to bottle up that run game. Titans
0: at home catching points? Is it too good to be true? Give me the Titans. Listen, I'm with you right there. The Titans are playing good football, and you look at their roster, and you say, this is a decent team. This is a decent NFL team. But Mike Vrabel, all they do is win, and all they do is exceed expectations. That has been happening. The Bengals may get Jamar Chase back, but as you said, Joe Mixon's going to be out. That, I think, ends up being the difference. That, and no one's really stopping the Tennessee run game, at least of late. I'm with you. Titans and the points. Give it to me. I want to stay in the AFC at least half. The Buccaneers five and five. They're going to Cleveland to face the Browns, who are three and seven. The Browns are getting three and a half. Matt, who do you like?
2: I like Cleveland simply because Tampa. Just I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to trust. I, Leonard Fournette is likely not going to play in this game. I'm not saying that the Browns win it outright. What I am saying is that Tampa Bay is 1-6-1 and against the number in their last eight games. They're not playing to the level that they're expected to. Now, on the flip side of that, Tom Brady, in his career off a of bye, 12-8 and against the number. So that would favor him. But give me Nick Chubb, give me this run game, and give me a, a Tampa team that just seems a little schizophrenic. I'll take the Browns plus the three and a half. Not circling it, though, not taking the outright, but I'll take that three and a half cushion.
0: This one's tough for me, too, because for Jacoby Brissett, this could be last stand because Deshaun Watson's eligible to come back next week. That said, Tampa Bay, I think, might actually be better without Leonard Fournette. Because I think Rashad White is more of a better running back at this point. He's more of a dual-threat guy. He seems to be finding his rhythm as a rookie. I think Tampa is starting to figure it out. I think the bye will help them. So actually, give me the Bucks on the road. Outright and with the points, too. I think they end up winning by a touchdown. This spread is a little bit bigger. The Texans, 1-8-1. Oh. All 1-8-1 of them with a quarterback switch. They are getting 13.5 points against the Miami Dolphins coming off a bye, 7-3. and three. Tua seems to be playing well. Matt, I, I'm hesitant to even ask who you want in this game because that spread's huge. I don't know.
2: I'll say this. Whenever I see a spread that big in the NFL, I will always take the underdog. But it's hard to say to yourself, go to the window and set and say, "I'll take the Texans." Like it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like go to the window and say, "I will take the Texans." Let those words come out of your mouth. Miami's going to score a lot of points. It's Damian Pierce and what? There's nothing there. There's nothing there offensively. Sure, Nick, maybe Nico uh, Collins is able to grab a ball or two. Maybe. And you go down the list of a couple of guys who might be able to catch a pass, might be able to keep this close. But give me Miami and at least a two-touchdown win. I'll probably regret it. But if they don't cover, I will move on with my life, knowing I did not go to the window saying, give me the Texans.
0: Well, I just figure if you're on an app doing it, you probably get the 404 <laughs> if you try to to pick the Texans. I, I can't see it. They start. They made the quarterback switch away from Davis Mills. Miami's hot and they can score points, and they can score points at any time. And their defense, not that bad. I like the Dolphins here, and yeah, I I actually feel really good about giving 13.5 because I think that it's that big of a mismatch. The game I'm going to be at I think is another really intriguing game. It's a sneaky good game this weekend for playoff implications, but also – between two teams that I think are overachieving. The Falcons are 5-6. and six. They are getting 4.5 points at FedEx Field against the Washington Commanders, who are 6-5. and five. Matt, who do you like?
2: Give me the trend. Give me the Commanders. Uh, playing well, 5-0-1 oh, against the number in their last six games. 4-0-1 oh, against the number with Taylor Heineke as the starter. There's just something different about this team. With him there. They love to play for him. They're 3-0 and against the number as a favorite this season. Um, I, I hesitate a little bit at the 4.5. I'd feel much more comfortable if it was 2 or 3.5. That 4.5 gives me a little bit of hesitancy. But give me the commanders here to keep this thing rolling and get that seventh win of the season.
0: Yeah, I'm going to flip that. I think Washington will win this game. But it is the four and a half that does concern me because the Falcons have played the majority of their games this season, four points or less. And that's both in wins and in losses. They've only really been blown out one time, and that was against Cincinnati. The Falcons like to run the ball, and they will run the ball no matter what. We don't know exactly whether Chase Young's going to play. Give me Washington on the money line, but... Give me the Falcons with the points. Just they've been playing teams close all year, and they've been pretty good against the spread. Washington really well.
2: stops the run. It's gonna be really interesting to see. Um, they, they, if not for a late pick, they'd be up in, in this matchup riding a six-game win streak. So there, there's a there is an opportunity there. But I'm with you. I think four and a half's a little much. This might be a three to four point game.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's where I am sitting. I want to look at a game that you know, I think it's between two teams that are underachieving. The Chargers are five and five. They're going to Arizona, who is four and seven. Kyler Murray's gonna be back, but the Cardinals at home are getting three. Matt, who do you like? It's three now?
2: It it is went all three the way
0: according to our board here.
2: Okay. I mean this was this was as high as six. And then Murray said it, it turns out he's playing, and then it went down to four. So now it's three Give me the Chargers all day long. I mean, they're 5-0 and against the number on the road this season. They're the only team that's undefeated against the spread on the road this season. And furthermore, have you watched the Cardinals? They quit. This team <laughs> yeah. has stopped playing. When things go south, they pack it in. Cliff Kingsbury should be packing his bags. The Cardinals are done. And Kyler Murray, look, you gave him a lot of money. Not sure what kind of leader you're getting Maybe he spent more of that time uh, polishing up his halo work than his ground than his uh, playbook. We shall see. Give me the Chargers, and I will lay the
0: points on the road. Yeah, the Chargers, to me, are a no-brainer here. They're starting to get healthy. Yeah, Brandon Staley makes some questionable coaching decisions, but it's not the realm of the dysfunction junction that is Arizona right now because they are a mess totally. Give me the Chargers, and I'll – I mean – Sure, Kyler's playing, but give me the Chargers. Give me the Chargers all day. That might be my favorite pick of the entire week, which probably means it'll be wrong. But you <laughs> never know. We'll want to close out here? The prime time game on Sunday night. The Packers four and seven, getting six and a half in Philadelphia against the nine and one Eagles.
2: This is one that I would pass if I was able to pass, but I can't. Uh, because it's radio, <laughs> the Aaron Rodgers factor only goes so far. Uh, this, this Eagles, de- I think, I think Rodgers will have some success here. The short passing game for Rodgers, get that ball out quick, should be fairly effective. I'm just not sure how many long sustained drives they'll be able to have if they're not getting big plays. Give me the Eagles who are four and one against the number at home. This season, I am hesitant because of Rodgers, but it's not the same Rodgers. Give me the
0: Eagles. I will lay the touchdown. Listen, Aaron Rodgers said this week he has been playing in the last five weeks with a broken thumb on his throwing hand. He said it doesn't factor in that much. I do not buy that. Christian Watson's looking like he might finally be breaking out here in the end of his rookie year, but I don't think that's going to be enough. The other key factor here. Linval Joseph and Dominican and Sue, they're going to have a full week here. They're going to be able to figure it out as two veterans. And and Sue's faced Aaron Rodgers time after time after time and had success against him. Give me the Eagles here. I like the Eagles a lot in this matchup on Sunday night. Coming up, we close out the show by playing good take, hot take. That's next. Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. This is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, SiriusXM Channel 80. Alongside Matt Chick, I am Michael Rothstein. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. We're going to bring our producer, Ben Rivera, in for the last segment of the show as we played a little bit of Good Take, Hot Take. Boom! Hot Take! Hot Take! Hot Take! It's time to rate the takes of the day. Are they good takes? The season is over. I mean, one game in.
3: For hot takes.
0: This is why I called out and said, Cousin is going to be the MVP. It's good take, hot take on Spain and Fitz.
3: All right, y'all. So just to open up this segment here, I think we're just going to head to our very own Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Listen, J. Will... I don't know, y'all. He might have had a hot take here. Hit it.
0: I do believe that the Giants are done. And I think all season long, they've been punching above their weight class, right? They've been living above expectations, which has been great. This season has been a success. I've been trying to be practical, practical, pra- geez, practical on radio <laughs> for the past couple of weeks because everybody gets always so excited. And I'm sitting here saying, okay, well, Saquon, they're stacking the box now. So the last couple of games, he's only been getting, what, he had 22 yards versus Detroit, 39 yards against the Cowboys the other day. We're playing with our third, fourth string corners out here. It's just their O-line is still decimated. Like, it's, there's a lot of issues there when you know where the offense needs to come from each and every day, and now we're going to expect Daniel Jones to be, you know, Josh Allen. And that's not who he is. So playing the Eagles twice, the Commanders twice, the
3: Vikings like I just don't see them making a run at it. I don't. I mean, he stuttered a lot there, but once he got it out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> mean, I was about to say sp- 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 spit it out, but um, Matt, good take, hot take. I think it's a hot take for now. I think it's a hot take.
2: <laughs> well, I-, I was consumed by flames. I like that. That's very good. I should have <laughs> picture elbow. Further. That's my- <laughs> that's my fault. Uh, look, expanded playoff, seven teams get in. Uh, right now, they're going to be in contention with a Washington, with a Falcons, with a Lions. It's not like there's there's world beaters there. It's more about like Jay said, the function of the schedule and who they have coming up. I, I went through it. Their next three or four games are going to be really challenging. Can they win? Can they split their next four? Probably not. But you think Washington is going to win, you know, for the next five? Like, I think they'll be in it toward the end. I think with a couple weeks left, they'll be in it. I call it a hot take. They got Washington coming up. They're going to be competing with them. I actually think it's a good take. Hmm. He
0: good.
2: And play that again. It, Hold on. That was
0: too quiet. Play yeah, that, that I was, again. I was I waiting. I was paused. He good. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you. I am good. But here's the reason why I think it's a good take. They play the Commanders twice. Right. if the commanders sweep them the commanders have the tie break and they've jumped ahead of them in the standings Seattle also has the tie break on them that to me is concerning because I think it's going to be a jumbled mess for 6 and 7 and if you don't hold the tie breaks, the majority of them, that's a real big problem so for me, right now I think it's a good take
3: alright I don't really want to bring this one up you know I don't like to bring in my fandom to work, but I'm a Patriots fan, but so we're gonna hit up two time yeah. Super Bowl champ, Brandon Jacobs. He was on Keyshawn J. Will and Max and he had this to say about the Jets benching um Wilson.
1: I don't know if I'd go as far as benching the guy for real. I mean I think that's a little bit uh I think that's a little bit out of line. I think that's a little bit too far. Just think I was out of a conversation. You know, there's not really too much you can do or should do in a situation. You, you know, you got a team that's playing pretty well. Uh, offense and defense, you know, throughout, you know, from like over the last two weeks. And uh, I don't think you make the decision to go ahead and, 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 and bench a quarterback because of uh, no answer. Uh, so I think that's a little bit too far. I think that's a little bit of a harsh punishment.
3: So he was very clearly talking about Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's his name. Michael, <laughs> good take, hot take.
0: Uh, I think that is a Elmo fire level hot take. I avoided the flames there, unlike my partner, Matt. And here's why it's a hot take. Zach Wilson has been playing very, very badly. He has caused potential problems in that locker room, not only with his play, but also with how he handled last week's postgame. You are in playoff contention, surprisingly, if you are Robert Sala and the New York Jets. Your first thing is not for Zach Wilson and not for his future. It is for that locker room and for a team that is buying into and believing you. And if they have questions, you make that change. Now, my thing is, why go to Mike White instead of Joe Flacco? It's a little bit more established, but that's a different conversation.
2: Agreed. I believe it's a uh, it's a hot take. I'll stand by it for the Flames. Okay, the embers are gone. Uh, his QBR is 25th. In the NFL, that's not good. He's had one good game this season, metrically, uh, when it comes to passing the football at an effective rate. That was against Buffalo. Outside of that, he hasn't been setting the world on fire. Uh, with apologies to the hot take, and I think this is like a this is like a, a goalie who's given up a bunch of goals, and you just need to let him sit. Just let him sit. Take some mental reps. I don't think he's done for the year. I just think he needed a timeout. And he's a young looking kid. He needed a timeout. Uh go sit and time out for a week. You've been uh you you uh, violated the cardinal rule of not taking any responsibility for your performance as a quarterback and um and you've been playing poorly. So that's two strikes against you, third strike and you're out.
3: Take a T O baby. Did you really just tell him to go sit in the corner? He did. All right, moving along. (laughs) Dominique Foxworth had this to say about Aaron Rodgers potentially coming back next season.
0: I think that Aaron's going to be back. I think that he's being honest as he's been all season with Pat McAfee. I think we're not accustomed to hearing it, but no quarterback is football all their life, all the time. Aaron Rodgers may be on the kind of far end of that distribution where he wants to get away a little more than most quarterbacks, but he's been the same his whole career. And he's coming off of back-to-back MVP seasons. I think we're reaching, if we're trying to make this feel like the end of anything for Aaron or the end of anything for the Packers, they still have a pretty strong roster. And this season, for sure is over, but I think that they have a chance next year bringing back a bunch of these players if they can address their issues on defense and if Aaron Rodgers can play at a high level.
3: Matt, good take, hot take.
2: I mean, it's appropriately a good take. Hey, good. Thank you. Uh Aaron Rodgers is set to make 60 million dollars next year. Like, why are we even having this conversation? Of course he's coming back. Like, he signed that deal for a reason. He wanted to be one of the highest-paid players in the league, and he is. And he's not going to sit and leave 60 mil on the table, and he's not going to want to go out this way. So absolutely, he's got too much pride to check out now. He's coming back next year. It's a good take.
0: I agree. It's a good take. He good. And here's why. Aaron Rodgers is not going to go out like this. Like, he's, I, he's got too much pride, and he is too competitive to go out on a bad season. I just cannot see that happening at all. Ben, thanks so much for popping in here, and thank you so much for this show. Spain and Fitz comes to a close, but stick with us for Freddie and Fitzsimmons next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.